funny. I, a couple of episodes ago, or at least, uh, I, I can't remember if I did it on the free episode or the the bonus episode, but I was like, you know, I really turned a corner with my productivity. I'm feeling really good now. I'm feeling like I finally figured out this whole work thing. I finally figured this whole you know, and I was like, I, I was, you know, uh, saying all these weird platitudes that I had invented for myself. Like, it's not that I have to do chores. It's that I get to do chores. I don't know why I'm doing a Leslie Jordan voice, too. <laughs> just me and my little old chores. You know, just me hanging out there. You know, I finally learned the meaning of work. What my pappy always told me about. I finally understand the true meaning of labor. You know, especially... Because, uh, I don't know how it happened. I It started as, like, a weird, like, COVID unemployment hobby. And then it got out of control. But in that span, of, in the span of time of about a couple of years, I've become something I never thought I would become, which is a professional, a, in, in heavy square, scare quotes, professional artist. I don't know if I'm there yet, but um, I, apparently that is what people see me as now. Um, and... I need to be judged on the merit of a professional as well, which is daunting to me because, you know, (laughs) my work is very crude. I like my work. You know, I'm not I'm not denigrating it or trying to be self-deprecating anything. But I like it. I think part of the reason why it's received so well is because it's evidently like not technically accomplished or because I come through it through a practiced amateurishness as opposed to sort of uh, this uh, very very like technique based or like classical technique based i i think the the appeal of what i do is that it kind of looks like you could do it too so there is a relatability to it in the way that like a lot of simplistically or crudely drawn stuff has that relatability you know you like the character designs in smiling friends because he looks like you could draw them you know there's there's this universality to it which is um but um (laughs) You know, you see yourself in comparison to people who are like real artists. You know, I'm like, I'm, I'm good at. It. I like, I like, but I, I, I've, I've always hesitated to call what I do art because I feel there is, um, to some degree, a deep unseriousness <laughs> to it. That's not true. I can get very serious at times, but there are some people that just pay so much more attention to like detail and craft, and uh, for whatever reason, they. Um, they just don't have the they didn't get they didn't roll the dice on the social media algorithm good enough so uh, you know even though they're infinitely more skilled than you are and probably work a lot harder than you are uh you know some, for some reason their stuff is getting ignored i think that's th- this is something that people can't because i won't say i'm like successful anyway like i'm not living making a living wage off of this or anything like that but um i do have a lot of attention a lot of attention that I, I craved for a while because sort of if, if, if you're a mon- megalomaniacal narcissistic artist uh, or cartoonist as I am, yeah, that's what you want. You want eyeballs on your stuff. You want people looking at it and saying, you're funny. And that happened enough where it's pleasurable. And I, I obviously um, I, I, I can't ever take that for granted. It's a, it's an amazing thing that happened. And so many people strive for it and don't get it. And uh, you, I think I deserve it because I think I'm good, but also you know just how much luck is involved in people just g- getting a mass amount of eyeballs on your work. So there's this always this sense of, like, you could be doing more, or you, you, once you have that 
amount of attention that you always wanted there's this sense of upkeep to it which is ultimately it's it's easy to deal with because you're doing something that you've wanted to do and you're getting recognized for it which is a will will keep you going for a while i i mean that's ultimately the subject of this episode is because i, I had this tremendous burnout recently but it was a different type of burnout like i've had burnout before at jobs that i didn't like and the explanation or you know the it, it was easier to take the the burnout psychologically because I knew that, okay, what's causing it is I don't like the job. It's very easy to understand. But now, finally, I'm doing something every day I enjoy doing, which is this incredible, you know, this, this you know, I, I'm, I, I, you know I'm, I'm LeBron James holding my, uh, my head saying, I can't believe this is my life, you know, <laughs> even though I'm not making, you know, a ton of money off of this. The fact that I'm just doing something that I enjoy doing and being recognized for it, incredible you know great um and uh but so what happens if you burn out on that oh no <laughs> oh god and um i i think this is more easily recoverable because i'll eventually you know want to do it again but it is sort of daunting at one point because um a, a lot of what was few because i had a pretty high rate of productivity for a while which is you know you know not not to toot my own horn or anything, not to not to be braggadocious or anything. Um, and also, the, maybe the rate was higher because for a while I was doing cartoons like very crudely. I could crank them out in 15 minutes because I, I wasn't even doing pencils, you know. I, I, when I was doing the initial round of penis comics, I was like deeply depressed and unemployed and like I couldn't, I was I was having a hard time getting out of bed. So the idea is like, What's something I can do in 15 minutes to show that at least I've done something for the day? You know, it doesn't have to be good. It just has to be something that I've completed. Um, and that's that was sort of like the motivation to start doing it. Um, and uh, it just because I had never really received any type of attention for artwork before any type. You know, I've received attention and people like my friends like what I do, but any type of attention from strangers before, which is a different type of intoxicating beast, because they don't have to, you know, they don't have to pretend to like you. <laughs> so it, it almost feels more honest in a way when you're getting praise or criticism. Ooh, criticism <laughs> from strangers. Um, and uh, I, I think another problem, too, is once I started getting attention, it wasn't like... Um, it wasn't a slow growth. It was this amazingly rapid amount of eyeballs suddenly on my work that I had never had before, uh, which is um, I, 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 I think I would have liked to, had it, if I could do it all again. I think there are things that I could do to grow more slowly. And, you know, half of that would just simply to be doing less cartoons a day. You know, at my height, you know, when I was doing this, like first year and like I was cranking out cartoons in like 15 minutes I would be doing like three four a day because it also had this like intoxicating lottery quality whereas well if I make more jokes then I'm bound to get the joke that's gonna get the lot of hits and the more hits I get then the more attention I get and the more so it, that was sort of this thing that was 
fueling uh this you know this unbearably narcissistic desire to have people look at my work um but that was enough you know that that could make me go there there was this immense sense of uh, propulsion and desire just because number kept going up you know i like i like it when number goes up gotta keep, gotta keep doing that you know gotta keep doing whatever it is possible to make number go up um and you know i got trapped in this mentality for a while um and uh you know something i've been thinking about especially um i watched that h bomber guy video about uh the plagiarism on youtube and uh i liked the video it, it was good it was dynamic well he always does a good job um and uh what struck me as the commonality between all of these YouTube plagiarists was that they had gotten themselves into a situation where they had to, like, crank out a lot of very long content very quickly. Because, you know, YouTube incentivizes stuff that's, like, 20, 30 minutes. Like, long content is good because I, I, I don't know how the algorithm works, but I, th I still think it's, like broadly supportive of uh stuff that's longer because it, it it affects how you get brought up in the algorithm if more people have seen a 30 minute video than it. i i don't know but you're incentivized not only to make long videos but to make them very frequently to maximize on ad revenue to make number go up and it seems like the pressure of having this not only this very rapid upkeep, but this upkeep that was also meant to be uh, detailed and have the sheen of research as well, have the sheen of uh, some sort of uh, effort that was put into it, you know, not just rapid, you know, for, for it, it would make more sense if there was like a rapid production of material, but it was intentionally crude as I was doing. Or something like that, it, it, or it, it was meant to be like sort of shitty. Like the, that's part of like that rapid production philosophy is the shittiness is part of it. But this was sort of a, a production philosophy that had to have sort of a baseline pretend level of production value as well as the need to produce it every day, and um, that led to. Uh, these people, I think, you know, also because I, don't, I can't diagnose the psychology of these people, but I think whatever, whatever that is, there's at least that material pressure that's on them that will make them make uh, worse decisions, especially if they're already predisposed to, like, a, a, a immoral action. Well, maybe not immoral. If they're already predisposed to sort of letting laziness overwhelm their better judgment, which is, I think, you know, that's half the reason why I think people do bad things, not because there's like a malice. It's that because they don't want to do the work. Maybe I'm misdiagnosing it, but um, I, <laughs> there's this episode of Frasier, which I really like, where Nathan Lane steals his identity. And a character played by Nathan Lane steals Frazier's identity and Frazier's trying to diagnose him and Nathan Lane just keeps saying, what can I tell you, Doc? I'm just lazy. <laughs> and I, I think that's it. You want to... I, I, I think that emotion will take a lot of people very far in, um, in doing bad things or in uh, trying to uh, 
or like burning out from trying to come up with original creative ideas constantly, which you don't think of as creating effort because the process of coming up with original creative ideas is you sitting in a chair or like walking around. It doesn't feel, it doesn't smack of effort on its outset. But the thing is, you know, you are burning energy by by just closing your eyes and thinking about something really hard and thinking about how to do it in a way that has never been done before based on what you've seen. And not only, like, and in order to, like, create something that is even vaguely novel, you also have to know what's out there as well. So you also have to, like, take in a lot of art and uh, really think about it hard. You know, the process takes a long time and is actually very difficult in terms of what it takes to create the type of novel idea that makes art really satisfying. And you take that for granted a lot, especially when you've committed to doing a daily comic, as I have. Uh, and the thing about doing a daily comic is that... I, I was reading an interview with the, the Heathcliff guy, the guy who currently does Heathcliff. And, of course, Heathcliff now has this legacy of being this really, like, absurdist, uh, like, like Dadaist, almost Dadaist comic where it has all these strange in-jokes and signifiers, like the strange helmets that Heathcliff wears or the reappearance of the garbage ape, or it's just frequently, it's just this non-sequitur, a glimpse into this terrifying other world that Heathcliff inhabits. And the strip is stronger for it. I think it's it's like, I, I think the bizarreness of it and the obtuseness of it is intentional. And as a result, it is the only current newspaper comic strip that sort of smacks of that novelty somehow. Even though, and I, I, I was, and it's, it's popular with people online, that's for sure. People love sharing the weird-ass current Heathcliff comics. Um, and uh, I was reading an interview with the guy. I was I was really I was interested because it's like this is this is some of the the more this almost smacks of like zoomer humor in a lot of ways the sort of especially detached non sequiturism I mean I guess I shouldn't say zoomer humor everyone has like every generation has their collection of non sequitur style that was Monty Python you know we had that in the two thousands with uh, with Invader Zim and shit, you know. So I shouldn't say it, but it, it feels like um, I I don't know. Whatever non sequitur humor we've had before, it's been sort of like magnified and popularized, and has become especially ingrained in mainstream in a way that maybe it wasn't before. I could be wrong about it. But even, like, the monumental popularity of something like Skibbity Toilet, you know, we were saying, oh, we had Gmod, weird weird Gmod stuff back in the day, but Skibbity Toilet is really fucking popular. <laughs> like, way more popular than any of, like, the weird Gmod stuff that we were doing back in the day, and I can only attribute it to this sort of increasing... Uh, I, I, I guess because what I said before, it's novel, you know, it's it's not this, like, if you're trying to create something that smacks of novelty or idiosyncrasy, you know, at some point, sort of setup punchline stuff fails you, because there are only so many jokes. I mean, that's the first thing you learn, like, just writing a pun is a joke, or thinking of any pun, and then you type it into Twitter, and then, like, a billion people have already thought of the... And, uh, so that's, um... I think that's like a, another problem that I was having 
doing the four panel comics on the on the patreon uh if you're subscribed to the patreon this is my way of doing native advertising if you're listening to this um <laughs> uh but yeah on the patreon i haven't even been doing like these daily gay comics i've been doing a serialized comic about a fella named gary suddenly gaining sentience uh but still realizing he's a comic character cuz i like that subject i think it's fun obviously I've, i i go to that well a lot um because just doing the gag strips each day i realized i was repeating jokes that i had done before like almost word for word like there there was one strip i did recently where it was Sean Evans of hot ones uh, and he's interrogating a guy. And the idea is that uh, Sean Evans, you know, where are the bodies? He's asking where are the bodies under the pressure of hot ones. The joke is okay. You know, it's not people like I like hot. it's a hot ones reference. People like hot. <laughs> but I realized like 400 comics ago, I had done basically the exact same joke, but it was Nardwar. Uh, who was interrogating somebody and, like, getting the information. Well, I mean, Nardwar would already know where the bodies are, but he would then get it out of them. And uh, it was better, too. The, 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 the Nardwar version was better, too. So I I think I've started seeing the limits of it, especially because I wasn't even doing a daily comic. I was doing, like, two, three comics a day for, like, a couple of years. And that's that's a, <laughs> that's a lot. You know, you're going to run out of your A material <laughs> pretty quickly. Um, and it takes a while to sort of gather it again. So I think that was sort of informing a lot of it. And so if you've experienced this too, if you've had burnout at something that you enjoy doing, it is, it, it's, it's more akin to that sort of binge and purge mentality. It's more akin to this sort of, I, I gained a sort of unhealthy, addictive relationship with this type of work. And at some point, I, I fried my pleasure receptors for it because uh, I just had had accomplished my goal to, to, to significant of a, gree, a degree or I had, you know, I, I, I eventually was at a point where I was, <laughs> I was just saying to myself, man, I want less attention I have too much. This is too much. <laughs> I, I, I outkicked my coverage. I fucking, uh, I, I grew too fast. And as a result, I, and you know, I could see it too. I could see people criticizing me. I think less because I'm sure they genuinely found me annoying, but I don't think they would have found me as annoying had I not been become suddenly ubiquitous. Which was like, yeah, I'd be annoyed with that too. I'd be annoyed if I had to see a comic that I personally found annoying, uh, like all over the fucking place. That would irritate me as well. Um, and so I started getting, you know, the negative attention as well, which is, uh, I, I made a comic about this. Negative attention? I never thought that seeking attention online would yield negative attention as well. And um, I, I can laugh it off, but it, it does affect me. I'd be lying if I said, you know, seeing someone say something mean about me. I don't, I don't go, oh, oh. <laughs> I mean, I get over it because it's stupid. But um, at some point, you, you get too much of that and you want to, you know, you want to dial it back. I think it is truly the insane person that it starts getting a lot of that and then is like keeps moving forward on the trying to gain as much clout as possible train. 
I think it, it's someone who's like is getting that strange hot back of the neck feeling from having these combative interactions online constantly. Um, and then they decide they like that hot back of the neck feeling and then they they go forward anything i think that is truly the sign of madness and i could have gone that way i think i reined myself back from it but yeah i I, in november i was very productive and then i just hit the fucking wall i think part of it too was an another uh, uh, part of that whole sort of sort of addiction quality of it or the feeling of addiction the feeling of doing something compulsively almost like you're not thinking about it because it becomes this overwhelming need where you're sort of neglecting other parts of your life because of it which for a while I was very much doing with comics I'm still doing it to some degree you know I don't socialize I don't go out I don't date because I gotta I gotta be doing these cartoons all the fucking time you know it sounds sad but I I do no I like I trust me I'm getting a lot out of it um but I I need to I think that's also where this burnout is coming from just having this focus on this for such a long time i've uh neglected uh socialization to a degree which is bad because um i I think it's just you need socialization in order to create anything at all because you need to interact with people and be like oh this is how some people are so that you can create characters and gain ideas and gain you know it's like it it I that's just ruthlessly practical talking about. I mean, you also need it because you love people and you care about people and you you know you want to experience that aspect of life. But um, I think it's twinfold. It it hurts you both in your craft as an artist and uh, and also just in your in your existence as a human being to uh, fully omit uh, socialization in order to focus on your craft. But I tack to that anyway. Um, and, uh, I think another big problem was that I just started compulsively playing video games again, which I have a, that's a real problem with, you know, if there's one thing that I would like to tackle before weed addiction, you know, I have a real significant problem with weed and smoking fucking pot all the time. Like I'm a pothead, but I'm, I'm not fucking proud of it. It's, you know, it's like, I, I don't consider it shameful either. It's just something in my life that I'd like to get over, but not yet. Now just give me more time to be a fucking awful pothead. I please, <laughs> but before quitting pot, I think the thing that I would really want to, you know, stop doing, or I think I have a bad relationship in the same way that like, uh, you know, alcoholics are like, I would like to drink. Alcohol is great, but I can't, I can't do it because it always goes wrong for me. Like video games, I have a real problem with where I get. Yeah, very absorbed and I really start doing the behavior of like canceling plans and ignoring people so that I can play video games I don't even play them socially I'm not like playing Fortnite or Call of Duty and talking to people and like talking with a friend I like single player like get immersed and absorbed in a full fantasy so I was just going through uh, like I, I was like, ooh, Dark Souls Three is on sale. I never played this one before, and, and then it became this overwhelming obsession. Gotta get, gotta do Pontus Sylvain. Gotta get Pontus Sylvain. You know, he's oh, you gotta roll towards him. It's punishing you for rolling backwards. You gotta roll in. So I had to do that. Actually, that is funny, just as an aside of Dark Souls 3. It's funny about how much of that game is about punishing you for rolling backwards. 
and like every boss is like the puzzle is oh i have to roll forwards into them and not be afraid uh that's just an aside of dark souls great game love that game i'll do i'll do a whole FromSoft ranking once i play them all i haven't played ds2 or demon souls at this point but uh well, that that's coming. I'll do my big From Soft ranking episode, and that'll get a lot of that'll get a lot of hits because everyone likes From Soft. But yeah, so I don't know why I'm ranting about this uh, thing that almost no one can relate to. Is what if you have a job that you really like and you get tired of it? That's like such an asshole thing to rant about. But um, some of you people might be in this situation as well. Some of you people listening might be. Uh, having this sort of weird thing where you f- finally at a point where you found something you enjoy doing and you never thought that would happen. You thought you would be like doomed to a life of work where y- y- you just had to accept that you were never going to truly enjoy the thing that you did for money or the thing that you did professionally. And I think a lot of people are living that way. A lot of people are like, well, I don't like my job, but I like the things that the money gets me. So I'll stick to it anyway. And you can absolutely live that life and live a very fulfilling life that way. Um, but I don't know. It, it drove – I it, it was to the point where it was, like, physically impossible for me to do that, which sounds like – sounds like an asshole thing to say, but it was, like – I was, just like, throwing up all the time. Like, the psychological response was so bad that I, I just physically was incapable of handling the stress of – doing something that I wasn't good at for eight hours a day, which is a weird type of humiliation. <laughs> um, you know, it's arguable about whether I'm good at cartoons either, but at least I feel more confident producing them, you know, as opposed to doing office labor. Um, so... So, so what happens if you do have a job like that? You find something that is your calling where you do have that sort of nice dopamine response where you have this um, uh, reward scenario set up for you that makes you want to keep doing the task or what might be considered work. You know, what, what do you do if you find that and then you fuck that cycle up and you end up uh, going overboard and burning out your receptors for it such that that sense of escalating pleasure no longer exists. The idea that, you know, you're slowly getting so like, or, or you know, what happens if you uh, reach a consistent, if you're at a consistent point of growth and you then plateau or something like that, which, uh, you know, can affect a lot of people negatively psychologically. Honestly, the plateauing has been good for me because just, yeah, I, I want less attention. <laughs> at this i need to i need a i think that was it i more than anything else that was motivating just this i i don't think i've done a podcast in like a month i don't think i've interacted i i, I haven't done one of the free comics in a month i've been very sluggish with my production schedule on patreon i think more than anything else it's just this desire to be noticed less now which is, I guess, happens if you eventually get too much of being noticed, too much of the thing that you, you actually wanted. Um, but I think that's, that's the case for anything. I, I, I guess the reason why I'm ranting about this more than anything, um, less because it's relatable, because I don't, I don't think it's very relatable, but um, 
maybe it who knows who knows what people will get out of this but um it's just the thing that i've been thinking about for a while and uh wanting to get myself back in this string of motivation wanting to you know have a better relationship with the video games i play currently trying to 100 percent bloodborne that's fun i love that I, oh it's so good i'll do a FromSoft ranking one day they're so good um but uh yeah i i uh yeah just having and also you know feeling that shame for not having that discipline because you realize that a lot of your problems or at least not your problem but a lot of my problems and if you're similar to me maybe a lot of your problems um could be solved if you could just stop yourself you know i have a real problem with stopping myself whether it's with fucking food or pot or video games um there is a or with you know just making fucking penis cartoons for a while there was this real difficulty of slowing down or reining myself in when i got in this sort of uh, pleasurable feedback state um, and that sort of you know the key to living a decent life is finding that uh, not the key to living it but uh, one of the keys to living a decent life is finding the ability to moderate yourself it's an old cliche but it's absolutely true you need to find a way to stop yourself sometimes it's fun to go to excess and I think you should go to excess occasionally to have that experience but if you're doing it all the fucking time, you know, that's a problem. <laughs> that's a real fucking problem because it fucks up your goddamn nodes. Your goddamn nodes are getting fucked up by it. So, uh, And it will lead to these long periods of anhedonia, which is what I uh, sort of was experiencing for a while. And especially with video game addiction, that can easily happen where you play a video game pleasurelessly, which is a very interesting phenomena that me and I'm sure tons of other people do. But that's a weird thing about a video game where you're not getting pleasure out of it, but because there's still like this sort of task where you think, well, if I complete this or if I grind this out or if I just get to the next level, you know, then I will have some sort of satisfaction. But then you don't because you're playing a video game antidonically and it's just occupying your mind because like the goals in a video game are the reason why I think it has that addiction is because in a video game you know what your goals are you know what you need to do especially if you consult a guide or you puzzle it out it is a limited world in which you only have few choices at a time even in the most expansive video games you still have a much more limited palette of what you can do than in your actual life and you have a much greater indicator of whether you're successful or not in a video game because the number goes up. You know, you can see it. But in real life, you know, that's, you know, you can base your idea of success off of number goes up. But I've already discussed how that is one of the worst ways. That is a very bad way to uh, psychologically prepare yourself for anything. So, you know, how do you how do you measure how well you're doing and... Uh, with that, how do you know when to stop doing something or rein yourself in because the uh, diminishing returns of the feedback loop have become too diminishing? And I guess that's the big question. I haven't answered that yet. If I, if I knew how to do that, I wouldn't have stopped doing podcasts for a freaking month. 
Um, and, uh, I guess practicing that thing, I, 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 I loathe to, I always resisted it before, um, because, uh, it always felt like something that was designed to make you function within a capitalist system. It, it was something that wasn't designed to make you feel better necessarily. It was just something that was designed to get you to go along. Um, because, you know, you need to, you need to make money to eat. So you need to, uh, find something that will help you do your job better. You know, you need to find something that will help you get over yourself so that you can send emails better. Right. And, um, I always, uh, thought I was always not attracted to cognitive behavioral therapy because of that, uh, uh that notion, the fact that it seemed like this almost, uh, transactional, or sort of ruthlessly efficient type of therapy. I was much more attracted to the ones where you just have like this, uh, the the DBT, the dialectical behavioral therapy, where you just have a guy as a sounding board um, who's essentially this neutral party, and he tells you occasionally you're not so such a piece of shit. That's what I needed at the time. But I think now, now that I am concerned with productivity, now that productivity no longer means just this sort of capitalist transaction to me i think i might be more receptive to cognitive behavioral therapy ideas because now i want to be productive at something that i enjoy doing and also something that i can potentially make money off of so i guess there is indeed a capitalist transactional aspect to it um but uh yeah freaking uh i i think now i think moderation or I might get a better sense of moderation or discipline by doing the CBT thing by doing the aforementions just writing what do I want to accomplish in a little journal or like uh, actively turning my mind towards what I always feel that if I think about what I'm going to do the next day uh, before I go to sleep or at, at a couple of hours before I go to sleep I'm going to do x I'm going to do x I'm going to do x tomorrow I'm always way more likely to do it than if I have no plan going into the next day, which is, um, but the problem is even just doing that simplistic exercise of, of like making that little plan in my head and going, going over it for myself. Sometimes that can feel like this arduous, insurmountable task for no other reason than I assume maybe it's maybe it's laziness, maybe it's mental illness, maybe it's OCD, maybe it's I don't know. Um, but even the formation of making that plan can seem daunting. It's like you need a goddamn plan to make the plan to begin with, even though the plan is just I'm going to do my laundry. I'm going to do three cartoons tomorrow. I'm going to record a, po-. you know, stupid dopey shit. I mean, that's also why it feels so stupid to talk about burnout, because what I do is dumb. <laughs> It's not like, you you get burnout, you know, you get burnt out working in a coal mine. Oh, yeah, of course. I got burnt out doing cartoons and podcasts. So fucking dumb. I, you know, you should hate me. You should hate, if you, if you've listened this far and you don't hate me yet, you should by now. Um, But it's really, it is true. Um, It does take effort to do these as much as I feel it doesn't as much as I feel it is silly and insubstantial compared to a more concrete profession. I gotta be honest, it does take effort to do these and eventually you can just sort of run out of steam. 
like that like that little light in that montage in the center of Citizen Kane. I think another another thing that was of course happening that sort of results in this sense of burnout is you know I and I I don't want to this is if I phrase this the wrong way it's going to make me sound like a fucking asshole but I'll I'll whatever I'll go. But so initially and including what I was saying on uh, some of the Patreon episodes, initially, I think sort of a sense of productivity or a sense of good work um, or a sense of, you know, wanting to buckle down and really commit myself to, to working hard was th- observing the horrors of what's going on in in Palestine and understanding how you know lucky i am and the fact that i just simply get to exist is uh you know it had this strange effect on me where i suddenly was was just more appreciative of everything that i and this sounds like an ad because it's like oh i got something out of this horror but i'm i I've, i've said this before i'm being honest about its effect on me but that was only temporary it turns out because then you know after this initial feeling of being appreciative for what I had, you just have the onslaught of information about stuff that my fucking country is supporting, something that I live, something where I, I, the only reason why I feel grateful is because I live in this fucking country that is giving arms to this horror Nazi fucking regime that is doing uh, these terrifying acts of genocide, just being bombarded with that constantly and never wanting to look away and understanding that this body count keeps fucking mounting and mounting and whatever you what protests or what money you've done to donate you know you you feel like you're not doing enough because i guess maybe you aren't i mean other people are maybe other people can sleep at night i mean i sleep at night but it's just understanding the immensity of this situation and and you know also wanting less attention because I don't deserve attention right now. This is this is the issue that deserves attention. You feel like an asshole. You feel selfish for demanding attention on you. Uh, when obviously there's something that's very important, way more important than you right now that's going on in the world. And so there became almost this sense of embarrassment of putting creative work out there. Or I didn't... I was advertising on blue sky I was putting ads on blue sky because i wasn't posting about palestine there they're putting but i wasn't doing ads on twitter for like a month at a time just because it felt wrong i which i don't know if that makes me i i don't know how all of this makes me sound but i'm just i'm being honest i'm being honest to myself that's what you're getting you're getting you're getting real unvarnished house here going real raw getting real raw about my feelings but yeah so Whatever feeling of gratitude I had uh, for, uh, for, for you know, not being bombed constantly or not having white phosphorus rained on me for not seeing dead children all over the place, you know, whatever gratitude I had was eventually replaced by the disgust I felt for just me living in this luxury to begin with. The fact that other people couldn't do that, you know, which led to this sense of... Um, uh, not not self-hatred. I, I wouldn't say self-hatred, but just the desire to want to not be noticed more than anything else. This desire to 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 want to disappear 
because it became suddenly clear how unimportant I was in in the grand scheme of everything and how I almost felt like if I were, you know, to be posting silly ass cartoons or making silly ass comments, which I'm doing now, you know, I've I guess I've gotten over it to some degree because now I'm I've I'm starting in with the jokes again, but on on Twitter cuz of course I crave attention and being lighthearted gets you attention. So you know, you start in with that process again and I I guess after about a month of like not trying to of like holding my tongue and you know feeling uncomfortable there's just this the fact that it's gone on so long you know you feel like well can I is this addiction to attention you know am I doing something morally wrong by indulging in it when clearly the thing that's still going on is is more important than what I receive, but, uh, you know, I guess if I cared about that more, I would be doing a lot more <laughs> organizing for Palestine. So, you know, that is the, that is, that is my hypocrisy. That is the burden of my hypocrisy, the burden of my inaction, the burden of my own laziness, the burden of my lack of discipline is, um, is feeling guilty, but then never actually doing anything. The surest sign of a coward. <laughs> um i um watched angels in america i watched the entire play recently that i think that was also part of a reason why i just suddenly felt really emotionally drained um it's because I, I i my my friend uh miles shout out to miles good old miles um uh he invited me he said hey uh my wife got sick uh, she was got to see Angels in America with me. You want to see all of Angels in America, all eight hours of Angels in America? They're doing a play here here in Toronto. I said, yeah, all right, yeah, <laughs> okay. And it was good. I liked the production. They did a production at Buddies and Bad Times Theater in Toronto. I enjoyed it. Um, everyone was good. Um, and uh, but it's like. I don't know if you've ever sat for eight hours. It was split up over two parts. The two parts of the play, which was um, Millennium Approaches and Perestroika. They were on two different days. But still, each part is like four hours long. So it's a combined eight-hour play. It's like, I don't know. And it's good. You know, Tony Kushner's dialogue really hits. It's really like, if you haven't seen Angels in America, you don't have... You know the play is <laughs> that's that's for that's for some heads only. And I don't know if I can fully recommend doing that because it's very it'll it'll take the wind out of your sails, maybe. Like it did. it's also like the most depressing and like emotionally harrowing piece of work ever. You know, it's like really everyone's having these really intense talks and is abandoning each other and you know talking about how God has abandoned them. Um, but I suppose the the real reason why I'm talking about uh, cowardly characters or you know bitch made characters or people that feel guilty but don't do anything is because there's I I love the character of Lewis Lewis Ironson uh, in that who abandons his uh, HIV afflicted prophet boyfriend Prior Walter uh, because he can't deal with the physical effects of HIV on Prior. and he's yeah I, I don't know if he's Tony Kushner's self insert character he's uh, he's a Jewish boy. He's a gay Jewish boy who's like has 
fraught bad liberal politics it does sort of feel like tony kushner making fun of himself but i'm i'm not sure um and he but i i I do think kushner does go out of his way to make lewis you know look like an asshole there's this great scene where he's talking with um belize uh and he's saying all of this like sort of (laughs) like borderline like not even borderline like offensive liberal shit and Belize is, uh, who's like this, uh, this great character, this unabashedly heroic character with no flaws in, in Angels in America, which I guess would ring more false if Belize also didn't have the best fucking lines in the whole play and was like incredibly funny. And every time Belize is on stage, you're like, it's Belize! Yeah, and every time Belize is not on stage, you're always going, where's Belize? You know, so it's fine that Tony Kushner wrote a character with no flaws because he wrote him really well. Um, and, um, but, uh, it, yeah, so so Lewis Ironson is, you know, he's going in on about his, his thoughts about how America is almost like, he doesn't say post-racial, but he says some, like, weird shit about America almost being, a, like, a post-racial country to which Belize reprimands, for which Belize reprimands him. And um, I couldn't help, I mean, that's the sign of a, a true pathetic person where you can't help but see yourself in in this character who's designed to be bitch-made. Of course, you know, Lewis is uh, evolves throughout the play, and he has a character arc where he eventually does learn to be less of an asshole. Uh, and that's That's the whole point of it. And it causes him to reckon with the, of course, the 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 closeted Mormon that he's having sex with, uh, who is a, a clerk for a, a Reagan judge, and who does a lot of uh, conservative opinions. You know his, and he eventually, you know, he martyrs himself by getting beaten up by the the Reagan. I'm spo- spoilers for Angels in America if you haven't seen. It. Watch the HBO. Uh, one it's really good the hbo adaptation is a, a very worthy adaptation in it they cut out a lot of stuff it's t- six hours and they still cut out a lot of stuff um like the world's oldest bolshevik but yeah within the play um there is this sort of uh constant push and pull about do we need an ideology to bring us into the future do we need some sort of grand theory of design and that's sort of a, one of the bigger debates going on throughout the whole play. And I tell you, that in terms of, like, relevance to today, that's one of the bigger things that sort of plague the political spectrum right now. You know, we're all out of ideas. We're all out of grand theories of design. We tried them all, and they all failed. They're all bad. What do we? So we just keep going blindly groping in this night for any sort of organization or structure to form actual praxis. Um, but yeah, they cut out the world's oldest Bolshevik uh, in the in the freaking HBO series. <laughs> and uh, it was in, in Canada where they did a production. In Can- it was funny how uh, they changed some of the stuff because it was written in the 90s uh, by an American. So uh, the word Eskimo is used a lot in the play, uh, which is obviously, it's not, it's, it's not, you're not supposed to say that. That was always weird. A- another aside, as I'm in my Angels in America, from this aside in Angels in America, which is an aside from Burnout, I want to say, it was always weird to me that, like, PC culture or, like, calling, calling people different names was so reviled, because, like, my first experience was it was when I was, like, a kid in 1995, 
And my mom said, it's like, hey, you know that word we used to say? We don't say it now. We say Inuit now. Inuit's the word. And I was like, okay. And then that was it. <laughs> you know, and that, uh, that was like my first experience with it. And it didn't seem that bad. So <laughs> it's like, I don't understand, you know, the constant revulsion of that. <laughs> like, maybe someone had a worst first experience with it. But that was always mine. So I never had like... I guess that's why I never had this ongoing cultural problems with being asked to like go along with the the, the uh, politically correct language or whatever. Um, and I don't even use like politically correct in a divisive sense. I think if there's a group of people that want to be called something, you should call them that. Obviously, I mean that's a problematic statement too because no group is a monolith, and you know. Just, you know, on an individual basis, call people what they want to be called. That's, I think, a general, generally good rule of thumb. Either way, um, yeah, so so they replaced that in the play. <laughs> Instead of saying uh, Eskimo, they say native, which, sure, it's fine. It didn't, it didn't change the meaning. Uh, and... But it's not, the character in the play, Harper, is, you know, this sort of uneducated Mormon, so, in, in the in the 80s, so, uh, you know, she necessarily, she wouldn't necessarily have the frame of mind to say, but it doesn't matter, I get why they did it, you know, that you can't do your, your land acknowledgement before the play, and then, you know, say a slur all throughout it, it means the same, I, it didn't bother me, I just thought it was, it was an observation that I made about the edits they they did to it um so uh but yeah yeah lewis ironson this uh freaking bitch made character can't help but relate this 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 uh effigy of survivor's guilt you know this the cowardice of survivor's guilt why do you have to feel so guilty you're the one that survived you idiot <laughs> you know you you're lucky you fucking and that's how it sort of feels to be, you know, talking about burnout when you're doing this, you know, very, very not, I wouldn't say easy, but very like, you know, easy, you know, when you're doing this easy job, when you're doing an easy non-job like podcasting or cartoons, you know, yes, there is work, there is effort, but it's, you know, have a little perspective, okay? The, the reason I wanted to be an artist is because I didn't want to do, like, a heavy labor job, and I didn't want to do a boring office job. There is, there was, there was an ease of it to me. The reason why I'm doing it is because it's easier for me to do it. Um, I don't think I would be attracted to it if, if I didn't feel some sort of natural aptitude or sense of ease while doing it. And I think the same could be true of a lot of artists, even if they don't want to admit it. Yes, there is, I mean, the problem with that mentality, too, is it can be so easily exploited, which is, you know, the other side of it is that all artists feel so lucky, a lot of artists feel so lucky to be just employed as an artist that you can get away with, um, you know, extracting a lot of labor from them. Uh, no more extreme example, there's no more extreme example than uh, uh, J Japanese animation houses, which notoriously... Uh, like overworking and poorly paying uh and uh you know not that american animation houses are significantly better but in japan it's oh my god it's nuts and um of course video game crunch you know uh the the reason why it's so easy to get all of these fucking devs to work 18 hours a day is because they really 
love what they do and they find an ease in doing it and they as a result of that ease and their motivation and the fact that they just feel so lucky to be employed as an artist to begin with you know you can really abuse you can really stick it to them and um so i think you know getting out of that uh i i don't know that's sort of the perspective you need to hold two things in your mind at once yes what i do is hard work and is labor deserving of proper compensation absolutely but two, it's also pretty silly, <laughs> you know, which is, it's also kind of silly, you know, it is, it is entertainment, it is cartoons, it is, it is these just inherently unnecessary to life, you know, you know, you can't eat this shit, you know, you can't, you can't f use this to flush your turds down, you know, it's, it's something that is on its face extraneous, and of course, no art is extraneous we all need to contribute to the wonderful cultural tapestry of the world and every piece of commentary is unique and wonderful of course but also there's just so much of it there's so there's so much art being produced i don't i don't know like i i think i'm pretty confident in saying there's more art than you can access than ever before in human history like forget about it's so much so that like half of your life is just dedicated to clicking around a bunch of thumbnails deciding what movie you want to watch. There's so much art that just choosing the art that you want to watch has become this overwhelming, bewildering task. That <laughs> So, I mean, that's also the, the problem you have with that sense of, uh, of, of working in, in entertainment or media field is that, uh, you know, what am I really contributing? Even if I do have a lot of attention or if I have gained some sort of notoriety or audience, there's just a billion versions of me out there. There's nothing necessarily that marks this as significant or novel or idiosyncratic enough to uh, have it justified as necessarily getting any attention at all. And, of course, what it all comes back down to... And I think, you know, maybe the lesson at the end of all of this is that, uh, and it's a selfish lesson for sure, but you got to do it for yourself. The reason ultimately why I like podcasting, why I like talking, why I like ranting is because I like the radio. It's fun to make little radio shows for me, and it's fun for me to uh, rant at nobody in particular uh, as just a, a, as I've said before, a form of self-therapeutic uh, uh, talk therapy. And uh, it's also, you know, you're making a little show. You're making a little improv show. You're testing out your improv abilities as well. There is a sense of personal pleasure, of getting slowly better at, at doing something and something that you enjoy, which is making little programs, making little programs for people to listen to, maybe relate to in a little way. So, um, I mean, that is a very uh, solipsistic way of viewing it. And I, I think the counter to that is, and maybe why I've also been having difficulty is because uh, art should take place in a community, and it should be a collaborative process with others, and you should try and involve other people or bounce ideas off of them or talk to like-minded people within your community as much as possible it will make you better it will make your art better it will uh, yeah. but uh, i have a hard time doing that i like 
I, it's a common, very common thing. Just the complete inability to ask for help. This this pathological inability to ask for any help, and the idea that if I've gotten a tip or I've gotten a, uh, a piece of advice from somebody else and I've used it and I haven't come to it intuitively or from my own understanding, then somehow I've cheated or somehow the, the, the art that I've eventually produced out of it has been cheapened because it's come from somewhere else. Obviously, this is a ludicrous, psychotic mentality <laughs> that, that has greatly hindered me. But it is... Um, I don't know, something that I've had all my life and something that I have this, you know, this this immense paranoia. It's this, it comes down to, yeah, you're stealing my thoughts. Stop stealing my thoughts. <laughs> you know, this, this classic paranoia of um, just the simple exchange of ideas is, is this sort of uh, psychic feed, feedback mind theft, um, which is why I was always terrible at D&D or always bad at doing a D&D groups because it's like, you're taking my ideas and you're ruining my good ideas with your bad ideas. Even though their ideas weren't bad, they were just different than my sensibility, you know. I, I, but I couldn't take that. I wanted to have my own fascistic little controlled little world, you know. I wanted to be Synecdoche, New York. I wanted to be Catherine Keener in Synecdoche, New York, and then eventually Philip Seymour Hoffman in Synecdoche, New York. I wanted to have my carefully constructed little Lego world where everything is mine and my sensibility alone. And uh, to this day, I think that attitude hinders me. Uh, but it can also, I mean, it helps in one degree, where is if you're incredibly insular, y you will have a habit of, of uh, being able to create idiosyncratic stuff more frequently just because sometimes a lack of influence can can even help you create something more novel because you're not drawing from anything. But um, I don't know. I don't. I think it, less of that has happened and more I've just been slower to educate myself on certain artistic techniques uh, because I've, I've just had this immense aversion to any sort of community artistic uh, involvement, which is, uh, you know, uh, I think that's been another reason. If you're experiencing burnout like me, or if you experience burnout like me, um, and you're where you're in a position that you enjoy, but you still find yourself feeling anhedonic, it's possible because the social obligations of that position are not being met as well. The community aspect of what your job entails is probably lacking in some way which is why you feel alone and up against the entire task of your work yourself. You know, even as an independent cartoonist, I'm, I'm blessed to have a network of, of fellow cartoon people uh, that I can, you know, bounce ideas off of. You've heard some of them on the show before. Um, and even them, these people who I trust and love implicitly, incredibly difficult time asking for help or asking for any sort of tech. I, I don't want to do it. <laughs> I don't want to do it. And um, so I think in order to curb burnout less and to feel like I have less of a burden on myself constantly, I just have to get more comfortable asking for help. That's all it is. Um, and uh, so, yeah, let's let's go over what we said today. So uh, if you are having burnout at a job you hate, or you're doing something every day you hate it. The burnout is very easily. How do you conquer it? You gotta, 
you you might have to quit the job. That's the easiest way to get rid of it is if you're having burnout at a job you hate, you quit the job. Um, obviously, that's not tenable for a lot of people, so you need to develop other techniques like uh, like a lot of that CB, CBT stuff, the cognitive behavioral therapy, I think is geared towards, okay, how do you live with a job you hate? You know, you have to do these exercises every day in order to get yourself to be productive. But if you have a job you like and you burn out, um, you know, that that's a that's sort of a different animal because it, what's causing it is it, what's causing it is not the job itself, but rather your approach to it, which, uh, as I've said in this in this program, usually is influenced by a sort of uh, addictive mentality at the start of having the job you love that eventually yields to a burnout of your goddamn nodes and uh i think the other aspect too which i mentioned was uh the uh the the weltschmerz the world hurt that you feel if you know you you take in the news at any level or you feel your your sense of position in the world is being ultimately lesser than something that is much more significant that is happening happening around you that can add to it as well and three uh you know you're not engaging seriously with the community of your profession of your chosen craft and all of those i think if if you're finding that you're burned out at something that you enjoy doing I think if you're not doing any of those three things, or if those three those three things seem to be what had significantly affected me into just not doing stuff for a while or being very sluggish or lazy, um, and uh, also I guess something that I also mentioned before, which is if you're pressured to try and produce as much content as possible, or you've put that self-imposed pressure on yourself then that's also what's going to lead to birth. So all of those taken together, um, you know, uh, this is this might be for you. This is more for me. I'm reminding myself what I need to do in order to be more consistently productive. And I say productive not just in the uh, capitalist sense, uh, but I really do believe that when you are, that work is good for the, like you can call it like Protestant or boomer brain or whatever, but you need to work in order to feel good. You need to make something. You need to produce something and feel yourself ha have the thing that you produce have impact within your community, whether that be you're a nurse or you're in a care profession or what you do is care that there's a very immediate relationship to your community there, which is why even though it's exhausting, you'll see people who like take a lot of pride in what they do in terms of their being a healthcare professional. Like, uh, if you if you need that, you need that at least. I think that sense of um, uh, situating yourself with it, the the need to be seen as useful in some way. Um, and that's sort of a bad way to phrase it. You can interpret that as um, ableist or something like that because, you know, I had to make use of me. But I, I don't know. There is it, – it's a theme that comes up in my work a lot is I want to be useful. I don't want to be useless. I want, I want there to be some sort of application of me. 
I don't want to be this wandering feather on the wind. I want to be something, you know, people always balked at the idea of being a cog in a machine. But I like the idea of being a cog. If the if if I fall out, then the machine stops working. Um, but maybe that is a, a psychosis within itself, because maybe. No, I I don't think it is. I I I honestly see a lot of people that you don't just need to be productive. You need like a lot of you need like love and community. But having something that you make that you call your own that gets recognized and is respected by other people that make that thing and that's important i think you need that i think a lot of people need that at least and um which is why i i think productivity is not just a concern for um a financial level but absolutely a concern for this uh, state of emotional well-being i know i always feel better if i feel like i've done good work for the day um, and when I feel like I've been lazy or I've slacked off in any way, I always feel worse. Um, and uh, that's the problem with video game addiction is it can really make you feel okay with being lazy or slacking off. And um, actually, you know, South Park's up and down, but one of the one of the canniest things that I thought they said was in their, I think, the future self and me episode. And something that I recognize about my own pot addiction is... Um, Randy's finally at the end of the episode he's talking to Stan about pot is like pot won't kill you you won't die a pot but the big danger of it is that it can make you okay with being bored and when during that time you should be learning to do something developing a skill and if you just smoke enough or you you know do something that is unproductive in time you'll find that a lot of time has passed and you're not really good at anything and if that happens to you and you find yourself you know, you feel that a lot of time has passed and you're not good at anything. That's a horrible fucking feeling. And which is why I think you need to find a way to be productive in order to avoid that. You need to feel that you're good at something. I don't know what that is, but um, yeah, which is why I'm trying to figure out how to conquer this goddamn burnout. Well, at any rate, uh, thank you for listening. And I hope to be doing many more of these. Uh, the next one up, I'm going to start doing uh, shout-outs from the Patreon of people who support on the $10 tier. So look out for that one. Didn't do it today because, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It just happened, all right? Get off my back. It's going to happen. Shut up. Nah, have a good night, everyone.